Last week we started a series in Philippians. We're going to be in Philippians uh, through the summer called uh, Lessons from Lockdown. Uh, because, I mean, I guess we're still in lockdown. Uh, for those of you who are joining us digitally, hello. Um, we're glad you're with us um, in spirit. We hope uh, that you'll come join us in the flesh uh, when things have quieted down a bit. Um, last week we saw that, you know, Philippians is Paul's most joyful letter. He's joy, 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 grace, grace, grace. Uh, and, and, and yet he's in prison. He's been beaten. He's uh, the... And it's just a shocking, it's a shocking kind of parallel where, you know, at the one hand, where, where his circumstances should indicate that he's miserable, and yet he's actually just, he's, he can't, he couldn't, he's never done any better. And the reason is that he, um, we saw, he, he knows that the gospel's unstoppable. And the only thing that matters to him in the end is that the gospel goes out. Well, this week we're going to start at the beginning of the book, and we're going to get a sense for um, something that, that God does, even though Paul can't help. Paul's in lockdown. He's in, he's in prison. And yet he, he realizes, he's come to learn that God is on the move anyway. And so uh, let's read Philippians 1, 1 to 8 together. From Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus in Philippi, along with your elders and deacons, May the grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. I thank my God every time I mention you in my prayers. I'm thankful for all of you every time I pray, and it's always a prayer full of joy. I'm glad because of your sharing in the gospel from the very first day until now. For I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. I have good reason to think this way about all of you because I keep you in my heart. For all of you share in God's grace with me, both during my time in prison and in defense and support of the gospel. God is my witness that I feel affection for all of you with the tender love of Christ Jesus. Now, I've been in church uh, a long time. And I've noticed that one of the, one of Christianity's like evangelical favorite verses is actually in this text. And, and if you, you may have recognized, you may have heard it, you know, um, I think the New King James Version is a little bit different, but it's something like, uh, for I am convinced uh, of this, uh, that, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of, of Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus. And that's, that's, that's an encouraging word, right? Like, that's what we all want to hear, that, that there's a good work that God's doing in you, and God's not going to quit on it. And I, I, but there's a, there's a question, though. There's a question. What is this good work, and does it have any... Because remember, we're reading a letter to a church. These people are all long dead. We're spying on their mail, as it were. Uh, does, is what Paul's saying, does it have any relevance for us now? Or is this just... For the Philippians. And so I, I, I would like us to think a little critically. What is this good work that Paul's talking about? Well, I've, over, over the years, I've, I've, I've heard, I think, four different main answers to this question. And I got pictures of them. So here we go. In the top left, uh, you can't read it, but can I read it? This is from, I think, a college year, uh, yearbook. And in the top left, 
this, this Navy vet says his dream job is being uh, employed in the federal government. His proudest achievement is military service. And his special talent is that he can cook minute rice in 58 seconds. <laughs> oh, you wag. Uh, he's got a special talent, right? And, and, and I, I think a lot of us, when we hear this good work uh, that, that started in you, we might start to think, maybe, maybe God has given us a spe- me a special gift, right? Maybe, um, you know, you're a really talented singer, or you're really good at school, or you're really good at softball, right? You know, whatever it is, like, maybe there's something special about you, and God's like, he's started this good work in you, and he's not going to quit. You're going to get better and better and better, and use it for his glory more and more and more, until the day that Jesus returns, Maybe. In the bottom left, we have uh, maturity, right? Uh, maturity. So in, in, in the regular world, uh, we start out as babies, and then we become adults, and then we don't talk about what happens next because it's kind of sad. Um, but the idea is, like I tell my kids, I'm not raising you so that you can have fun. I'm raising you so that you can become independent and ultimately support me in a way that I'm not supporting my parents. So I, they made a mistake. I made a mistake. You will fix that mistake. And that's maturity. I'll know they're grown up when they start giving me stuff. And in the church, we have a similar kind of view, right? The church, we, we say people start out as like spiritual babies, right? You start out with, you, may, you know the gospel, you're bold or whatever, but you learn more stuff about Jesus and God, and you become, you know, better at Christianity or whatever, and you get to a point where you're now mature. You're, you're complete. You're, you know, perfect. And the Greek there, perfect is not, I mean, it just means complete. It doesn't mean perfect as in like flawless. It just means that you're the, the whole deal. You're the full package, right? So maybe that's what Paul means by a good work. In the top right, we have, this is a very popular one. A lot of churches think that what they're doing is they have a mission from God, a special good work, a literal good work in the world that God's called them to do. Okay, and and on this view, what your job is is your job is to fulfill that. So for some, it's it, you know, feeding the poor. Others, it's spreading the gospel to a particular nation or place. Uh, for others, it's it's you know uh, helping out. I know uh, now with um, a lot of more popularity uh, uh, or at least awareness of autism and and cognitive. Um, issues related to it that now I know of churches that really specialize in um, their mission is to people who are afflicted with autism and, and meet them at their, where they're at. And that's their good work, right? Maybe that's what Paul means, that, that the church in Philippi has some special mission, and we might too. And the bottom right is uh, First Baptist Church in Dallas. Uh, this is their, the building that they built in, I think, 2009. As of 2009, this was the largest, most expensive church building ever made, or at least in the modern era. Uh, First Baptist has uh, 14,000 members per weekend. And it might be, and I've heard this before, that really what, what Paul means by a good work is, is a, a church you know, expanding and building and getting bigger and better bringing in more people, sharing the gospel, and, and that's the good work that, caught, that God's called them to do, to get big and better and, and reach more and accomplish things. Well, which is it? We're going to look at the text and find out. So the first thing, we've got, we got to knock out the easy one. All right, Did you notice the amount of times Paul said all? All y'all? Uh, pos, pon in Greek, all, every. 
He says, all the saints. Let me go on. What else does he say? He says, all of you, every time I play, a good work in you all. I added the all. There's no pause there. But um, the, the verb um, is, it's, it's plural. So it's, uh, you began a work in y'all, in you all. Um, the, the all is not there, but the English equivalent is you people, y'all. Uh, keeping going. All of you, I, my heart, all of you, sharing God's grace. All of you, all of you, all of you, all of you. Well, if there's one thing that we can say about a good work, it's not being done in Dave. It's not being done in Tony. It's not even being done in Brent, as hard as that is to believe. It's being done in us. A lot of times we... We're Americans, and we're Western civilization, Western culture. We tend to think in terms of me, right? And we tend to think in terms of, you know, God's got a work that he's doing in my life. He's making me better. Making me, working on my special talent. Well, if there's one thing we can say about this text, it's that Paul's understanding of what God's good work is, is it's not done in Tory. It's done in us. And so the first thing in your note sheets, God's good work is done in a people, not a person. A people, not a person. It doesn't mean that your individual life doesn't matter. It just means that God's not sitting there being like, how can I make, you know, so-and-so great? What God's doing, he's like, how can I make Coast Bible Church something? How can I make the church in Orange County something? How can I? That's God's good work. It's done in people, not a person. That means we can knock out at least one of the potential... Oh, sorry. Yeah, sorry, buddy. You're out. Um, cool that you can, you know, do minute rice in 58 seconds, but that's not God's good work. And and it is cool. I, I do believe that God gives every Christian a, a gift. I believe um, that we all have things that God wants us to do, but that's not the good work that God's doing. I have a, a question mark on the bottom left because it depends on how you think about this. If you think that spiritual maturity is something that individuals have, then this is not what the good work that, that Paul's talking about. If you, if that's what you think, um, spiritual maturity is, it's like me getting from, you know, point A to point B in my spiritual personal walk. Well, that's definitely not the good work. It might be, though. It might be that Paul has a notion of what a church ought to be like. And the way that a church might grow and, and evolve and, and, and mature and become more holy. If that's the case, then there's possibility. But we can knock out the top left. Definitely not your special talent. Maybe it's the spiritual maturity of the entire congregation. We still got a couple more. Let's go back to the text and check again. Paul says this, I'm glad because of your sharing in the gospel from the first day until now. Uh, the word behind share there is, uh, is koinonia. It's, uh, it's, it, in Greek, it can mean everything from like fellowship and hanging out to deep union and communion to money. Let's see how that works. Uh, this is the way Paul uses this word um, elsewhere. He says, uh, it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution, a gift, a money gift. For the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. They implored us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship. Fellowship meaning the money. The money of the ministering to the saints. 
It might strike us as a bit odd. And, and it, it, is, it is weird that the word in Greek can mean contribution and it can mean hanging out. It can mean contribution. It can mean union. It can mean, hey, like people used to think that, you know, the point of being a Christian was to eat together. That's fellowship, koinonia. I think that right here, Paul's he's talking about money. Or at least partly he's talking about money. Let me show you what I mean. This, this word share is not koinonia. This is, um, it, it's like participate with. It's like working with. Um, so you, you, worked, you worked with, you shared in God's grace with me both during my time in prison and in defense and support of the gospel. The support of the gospel. The defense of the gospel. Guess what? Those things cost money. It's one, and, and here's the deal, you know, because as Christians, it's like, well, you know, the, the, the missionary comes, right? So occasionally we have a missionary come, and they're always like, just, I really just want you to pray for my, my, my work. And I'm kind of always like, yeah, uh-huh, I know you want us to pray, but what's the bottom line? What's it going to take to get you to Africa? What's the, what, what, who, what, what's the check going to be? Because we know instinctively that you can't just do stuff. If you're going to go do mission and you're going to do advance the gospel, it's, yes, prayer is a huge part of it, but so's meeting needs money-wise. We know uh, that this is the case, in fact, for Paul, because we know about the story of when he started the church in Philippi. I got a picture here of uh, St. Lydia, Lydia of Thyatira. She, uh, she was working in Philippi when Paul came in, and, and we're told, the reason that her, her, all of her icons are purple is because she was a, uh, a wealthy merchant of purple clothing. In the ancient world, uh, purple was like the Prada of the day, and so those who sold purple cloth were like, it was like they owned Prada. And so when it says Lydia, a merchant who sold purple cloth, that's ancient Greek for Lydia, who is super, super rich. When Lydia uh, becomes a Christian, when she gets converted, the first thing she does is she forces everyone in her household to also become Christian, uh, which is a different way of doing uh, faith than we do now, but it's an ancient way of doing it. And then as soon as her whole household had been baptized, that, by the way, is the river um, where they believe uh, Lydia was, was baptized in Philippi. That's the traditional site of her, her baptism on the right there. After she did that, she immediately did what? She invited Paul to come live with her. What does that mean? Well, in the ancient world, when you invited someone like an itinerant preacher or philosopher or whatever to come live with you, you gave them a stipend. You paid them because they had interesting things to say at dinner. Um, you provided their shelter, all of that. And we know it's, another thing we know about Paul is Paul never asked for money, right? Paul, he, he was like, hey, I can work. I can make tents. I mean, he was a tough blue-collar guy. He was like, I don't need it. I don't, but, but Lydia, because of her largesse, she just dumped money on him. And 
And, and it turns out, what's happened is Paul's in, in, in prison years after he met Lydia and, and the other saints in Philippi. It's been a long time since he's seen them. And what's happened in, in the background, what you may not know, is that Paul sent his friend Timothy. Timothy went to Philippi to check on the church there. Phil, Timothy comes back to make a report. And what he does is he brings a big bag of money to Paul. Saying all the people in Philippi want you to have this. Why does that matter? He's in prison, right? Prison's a, a decent place. They take care of you in prison, right? You go to prison, you get three squares a day. They have uh, CNN on 24-7, so you can watch, keep up with the news. Um, who wouldn't want to go to prison, right? They give you clothes. Well, in the ancient world, prison was infinitely worse than the prisons that we have. Did you know that in a Roman prison, they didn't feed you? <laughs> they wouldn't let you work. Uh, so Paul's under house arrest. He may not be in a prison per se, but he's not allowed to do anything to make money. And he's not allowed to eat. Or he, I mean, he can eat, but no one's giving him anything. A lot of people in the ancient world starved to death in prison. So the, the people in Philippi, Lydia and all the others, um, Eutyche, Synecdoche, um, Euodia, we, have, we know some, some of their names, they hear of Paul's condition. And they're like, dude, he's going to die if we don't do something. They care him. They love him so much that they send money to feed him and provide shelter, even though they haven't seen him in years. They have no idea what he's up to. But their affection for him is so deep that it spills over into giving and hospitality. And that's the next thing in your note sheets. God's good work starts with the gospel and spills over into giving and hospitality. And the reason I say giving and hospitality is because there's, it's one thing to just give. It's another thing to sit down and do life with somebody. It's another thing to invite someone into your home. That requires giving, but it's a deeper kind of fellowship. It's not something that you just do with strangers. And that helps us add more X's to our list. You see, the First Baptist Church of Dallas had the giving thing down pat. But church buildings don't necessarily mean hospitality. It would be one thing if Lydia, Lydia had just, you know, given Paul a bag of money. She did that, but she also provided a place for him to stay. She, she dined with him, supped with him, knew him, loved him. And so whatever God's good work is in Philippi, it's not making big buildings and, and having more people come. Those might happen, and that might be good. That might be a part of what God's good work is. But, but that's not what God's good work is. And similarly, like, these lights are such an amazing gift. I, I, it, it's just, you, you really should stay and, and, and watch Josh like, play with them because it's, it's just fascinating what you can do. And these shades, I mean, what an insane, incredible gift. And yet, that's not God's good work. It might contribute to God's work, but it's not the work itself. Back to the text. This is my favorite part. Paul says, I've got good reason to think about this. I, I keep you in my heart. Uh, and, and that means the same that you would assume wherever he goes, Paul takes Philippi with him. They're always present. No matter how far he goes, wherever he ends up, there's always a part of him that's still back in Philippi, still back at the beginning, 
when the church there was, was growing and thriving and people were coming to know each other and, and, and the Lord, and, and, and he was at the middle of this incredible movement and moment. He, that, that's with him for years and years and years. It's with him up to the point of his death. And he says, God's my witness. I feel affection for all of you with the tender love of Christ Jesus. Tender love sounds very nice in English. The Greek is splagnon. True fact, splagnon. And, well, so I, I've been, I, I've told you before, I'm, I'm torn up about what's going on in our country right now. I, I am just, so I've, I've been aware of the news, but I've been trying to find other things to get excited about. And I'm going to tell you the truth. This week, the most amazing thing that happened in Tom's personal life was the one-hour announcement from Sony Entertainment of the PlayStation 5. Did you all? We're all excited about that. I got a picture of the PlayStation 5. Wow. Now, I'm telling you, I know, I know this is sad. I know it's pathetic. But I'm being honest with you. I told Erin that she, was, she rolled her eyes. I've never seen it. I was, I was watching, I was watching the, the, and, and they were showing the new uh, Ratchet and Clank that's coming out. Just don't, just bear with me. And, and like, the hairs on my neck started to stand up. I was quivering with anticipation and excitement. I watched this hour-long presentation several times. Then I went back and downloaded the, the trailers in 4K so I could watch them in the highest definition. And I, the experience was... Just glorious. But what happened, what happened was I had a physiological reaction to what was coming. When Paul says tender love, it's something along these lines. Now granted, this is obviously a stupid example and Paul was dealing with like real people, but it gets you halfway there. The other, the, in Home Alone, right? Catherine O'Hara, when she, when she, she's trying to get back to, to, to Kevin, who's been left home for Christmas all by himself in Chicago or wherever it is, and, uh, and she, she's, she's been desperate. She's gone from Paris. She got a flight to the United States, but there's no flight from there to wherever she needs to go, and she's, no one's helping her. She's completely lost it. She's so sad. And then John Candy, who's a polka musician in the movie, he's like, hey, why don't you come with us? And this is the look she gives It's, it's somewhere between absolute disbelief, because polka, really? And yet, utter dependence, gratitude, affection. You can tell in this scene that she feels it in her guts. She feels this love, this affection for John Candy in this moment right in her guts. Which interestingly, uh, that word tender love, splagnon, it literally means bowels, guts, entrails. But it can also mean sympathy and deep compassion, tender affection and love, the kind of love that you just, it's right there. And, and you, it, you're, you're, there's a reaction to your whole body centered right there when you, when you see or hear from this person or these people. 
And so Paul's languishing in prison, and Timothy comes back. And Timothy's like, hey, man, great news. The church in Philippi, they're doing amazing. They're fantastic. I can't, I, I just, I can't wait to share. Oh, by the way, they send you a whole bunch of money to make sure that you're okay. And Paul looks at, at Timothy like this, like this, right here. He's like, you would do that for me? After all this time. It's the next thing in your note sheets that that God's good work develops love between people that you feel in your guts. Right in your splag canon. And this helps us. This helps us make some more X's. I do believe that God gives churches missions. I, I do. I think for a time and, and maybe again in the future, Haiti was our mission. And I don't want you to think that we, didn't, we don't love the people in Haiti. We do. And there are a few of us who... Um, who spent a lot of time there, you know, over the over a decade, going and, and getting to know, and, and there are a few like Monica Grimm, for example, Doug, um, who love a lot of those people right in their splagging on. But in general, most of us we care. It's not like we want good things for them. We're not, but there's it's there's not that deep knowledge, that affection, that life that we've done together that that makes us like. Oh. And likewise, there's plenty of churches out there. There's lots of churches. And, and lots of them have people who know everything there is to know about God. They figured it all out. They, they get an A-plus on the God test. Um, and, and not only that, but they're real decent. They, uh, they're very fine, upstanding citizens. Um, and yet, as mature as the body is, there's no splagkanon. They like each other. They think that the music's awesome. The leader guy makes them feel things every week, and that's great, but there's no splagging on. So then what is the good work that God does in the church at Philippi? And I believe wants to do here. It's a throwaway phrase. It's a throwaway phrase. If you don't, if you haven't been spending time with all of Philippians and you and, and you don't know um, exactly the context and all of that, you would you just read right over this. But it's at the very beginning. It's in the greeting. Uh, Paul says this. He says, "From Paul and Timothy, slaves of Jesus Christ, to all the saints, the uh, the holy rollers." If you were here for our last series, all the holy rulers in Christ Jesus in Philippi. Unremarkable. In Christ Jesus in Philippi. Interestingly, this phrase or this, this pattern, uh, it, this, it only happens here in all of Paul's letters. Uh, in most of Paul's letters, it's, it'll say something like this, to all the saints uh, in Rome. To all the saints or, you know, the people of God in uh, Ephesus. 
um, or the, the, the churches in Ephesus, something like that. But that, that inserting that in Christ Jesus in Philippi, that's, that's unique to uh, Philippians. And, and it maybe is unconscious. I don't know if Paul's sitting there being like, I intend to do it. But, but if when you start to read the book and you start to see some themes develop over and over and over again, you notice that Paul and the Philippians are dealing with a very difficult dynamic. I told you last week, and I want to reiterate, that, that Philippi was founded um, by veterans, basically, of, of, of a war. Uh, Augustine, um, when, when he was still Octavian, or Octavius, is it Octa- Octavian? Um, and uh, Mark Antony, they won a battle in this area called Philippi, and all the people who won the battle for them, they gave them land to farm, and that's how Philippi got started. And this had happened, you know, 70 years-ish before Paul comes along, maybe a little bit less. Um, and, and so the, the, the people of Philippi, Philippi was known as one of the most loyal and nationalistic cities in the empire. Um, it, it, everyone in, in Philippi, in fact, one of the reasons that Paul gets kicked out of Philippi is he starts ruining uh, the economy that's based on worshiping the emperor. I've got a picture here of uh, worshiping Augustus. There was a cult of the empire uh, in, in, in the ancient world where the, the people would literally worship Caesar as a god, a human god, um, and they, they expressed all of their loyalty to Caesar. When Paul says, in Christ Jesus... In Philippi, he begins a pattern of speech and thought that continues throughout the letter. And, and, and the notion is this. Paul's ambivalent about the empire. Paul's a Roman citizen himself. In some places, he seems kind of pro-Roman. Other places, he's not as pro-Roman. Probably when he's in jail and about to be executed, he's probably less pro-Roman. Uh, but he's, he's ambivalent. The empire is what it is. He thinks that they're supposed to enforce laws, and that's a good thing, and we should respect it. But the Philippians are in Christ Jesus first, in Philippi second. They live in Philippi, but their identity is in Christ Jesus. They work in Philippi, but they are the people of God. See, Paul, he's Jewish, so he grows up, when you're Jewish in the ancient world, you grow up knowing that you're the special people of God. And that's your primary identity as a Jewish person. You're the special elected people of God. The rest of the world, especially in the Roman Empire, their, their primary identity is either as, you know, this is my family, and so my, my name is my identity. Or my work is my identity. Or the, the Roman Empire, I'm a Roman citizen, that's my identity. Um, identity was located in a whole lot of other things, had very little to do with who you worship. So you're, you could be a Roman Empire, you worship Diana. But you're a Roman first and a Dionysus worshiper second. You're a family man first and a worshiper of Dionysus second. You're a merchant of wool, purple cloth first and a worshiper of God second. But what's Paul's scene? And what Timothy's told him is that the people in the church of Philippi have flipped that script. And they're starting to identify themselves. They're starting to live and identify and think themselves as in Christ first 
everything else second. And this has a massive impact on the way that they live. This explains, think about it, this explains why they have all of these characteristics, right? Why is it that they're, that they're, Give, that their, their love ends, ends up in giving and hospitality. It's because they're starting to see themselves as a community of God. God's people first. God's family first. And so what you do with your family, you share your resources, you take care of each other. That's what you are first. First I'm a Christian. First I'm in Christ. Then maybe I can acknowledge that I live in Philippi. Every single one of Paul's concerns... The fact that this has to be done as a people, right? Well, that's because it's not like God chose Mike and God chose Lucas. It's God chose us, Coast Bible Church, to be his special people, to be Coast Bible Church in Christ Jesus first, in San Juan Capistrano second, in Christ Jesus first, in a massive culture war second. In Christ Jesus first, in a pandemic second. In Christ Jesus first, in America second. The good work that God's doing in Philippi, and I believe here at Coast, is God is turning strangers into family, a divine family. God's taking uh, people who identify themselves based on their friends and their social connections, their wealth, their, um, their jobs, their families, their heritage, their, and he's taking all their skin color, their sexual orientation. God's taking people who identify themselves these ways, and that's, that's who I am. And God's saying, no! You're in Christ Jesus first. You're all of those things second. You are a family first. My family. Everything else second. That's the last thing in your note sheets. God's good work is making strangers into a divine family. You could add, in Christ Jesus first. Everything else second. We live in a world that is obsessed with identity. And it's tearing us apart. And I... um, I think there was a, another uh, young black man shot yesterday or the day before in Atlanta um, in an altercation with police. And everyone's like, what do we do? What's the, what's the policy that's going to fix whatever, systemic racism, inequality, a, a brutal police force? What, what's going to fix it all? What's, what's the magic solution? Where's the politician? Who's going to come and save us? Well, God's solution is not in Rome. It's not in the United States of America. 
God's solution is in Christ Jesus. It's in making strangers who identify themselves in all these different ways to not shed those identities, but to deprioritize them, to set them second to being in Christ Jesus first. And when that happens, then yes, love for others that you feel in your guts. And yes, giving and hospitality. And yes, a community. And and, and yes, buildings and, and expansion and all those things. But in Christ Jesus first, everything else second. Is that who we are? I believe it is. But it's always a work in progress, right? Did you notice that? Uh, the He who began a good work in you will complete it, will perfect it, will keep working on it until the day of Christ Jesus. There are ways that every one of us here and every family here can, can, can become in Christ Jesus first more. And it's going to be different for you and for you and for but if all of us are on that same trajectory then we will be able to confess truly that God's good work is being made perfect in us let's pray gracious god and father we confess that you're good And that you do have a plan for us. That you are doing good work here. God, amidst all of the strife and all of the division of hate and injustice. God, may we be in Christ Jesus first. May we demonstrate what happens when people are in Christ Jesus first. And may we proclaim that boldly. May we shed the identities that snare us. May we stop identifying ourselves as male and female and barbarian and Scythian and slave and free, Gentile and Jew. May we stop identifying ourselves those ways and instead identify ourselves as your kids, your children, first. May you richly bless us as your family. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.